Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between really a group of genuine misfits, all transformed by the amazing grace of God. My name is Zach Adams. I'm a Christ follower, uh, husband of one, father of three. I'm incredibly blessed, not just to be the pastor of a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia, called Calvary 316, but I'm blessed to be the pastor and friend of, of the guys that make this show possible. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a true a treat and honor, a privilege. If you'd like to know more about the church, uh, check out calvary316.com. Uh, today I'm joined, uh, and we're going to do this the normal way, I'm joined in the studio by two of my brothers, uh, brothers from another mother, uh, Mr. Nicholas Monty and Mr. Derek Kennedy. Guys, fellas, welcome to the Outlaw Radio what's Show. Up, what's, what's up, what's up? up? We're in the house. You guys ready to have a good show? Always. Yes, we are. Yeah, let's do it. You going to br- bring the thunder? Always. We bring the thunder, I bring the lightning. You- <laughs> I'm the thunder after he brings the lightning. Okay, yeah. well, that yeah, that, that works. Uh, I'm also joined in the studio uh, by the man that really needs no introduction, uh, the maestro behind the madness, genuinely the producer behind the dysfunction, my partner in crime, Mr. Creighton Von Creighton. It's kind of been a, a rough start to the Outlaw Radio Show, but we're here. We're good, right? Yeah, it's dysfunction with a capital D today. Yeah, we, Gosh, we, we, had, we had some audio problems leading into the, the live stream, but we've got those things figured out, which is all good. We want to thank you, the audience, for, for staying with us. Uh, a little bit of a delay, and then uh, I would say kind of a, a, a Biden running head start, if, if you know what I mean. You if know. you mean we like, we're like better we, off comatose? We were going up the stairs. Tripping up the stairs. We were going up the stairs <laughs> to Air Force One, and... And we, 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 we stumbled on our way, but we, we made it. We biffed it. We got to the top of the stairs. We saluted America. We're, we're good to go. Uh, <laughs> if you're new to the show, let me quickly explain how this dysfunction works. First show's unscripted. I have no idea what we're talking about tonight any more than you do, the listening audience. Only person that knows is our producer, Creighton, who will drop the topic in just a few minutes. Uh, secondly, the show is interactive. Uh, we are streaming. Uh, on facebook.com slash the radio outlaw a facebook page as well as uh, youtube uh, our youtube channel is outlawradio.live um, below those two videos uh, are comment threads and so it's interactive so if you'd like to drop a comment um, make a suggestion an observation drop a question share something that's on your heart um, please do so by just typing it in the comment section uh, creighton uh, is monitoring all of that in real time and so uh, we'll include you on the show if, if, you're, uh, if your comment is constructive, productive, uh, and, is, and is worth including. Uh, lastly, uh, this show is designed to be conversational. It's true uh, that I'll set kind of the tone and the direction of the show. But Nick, Derek, Creighton are free to interject their thoughts uh, at any point as kind of the, the listening audience. Uh, before, we, before I get to you, Creighton, before we get to um, whatever it is that you're going to be bringing... Uh, to the table, uh, I, I do want to. I do want to address two things that are just kind of going on uh, in our world that that demand uh, a little bit of commentary. Uh, first, uh, our hearts just watching uh, what's happened Sunday and Monday. Um, our hearts go out to all of those that have been impacted by Hurricane Ida. Uh, it was a monster storm that just, I mean, right in went right in direct hit uh, to southern Louisiana, knocked out power. In New Orleans, 
Uh, we know uh, there are a lot of people tonight that are suffering, not just in L.A., lower Alabama, uh, lower Louisiana, uh, but also just the, the trajectory of this storm has dropped a lot of rain uh, up into Tennessee. Even now, as the storm gets into Pennsylvania, uh, a, bit of, uh, a bit of New Jersey, Delaware, that kind of area, my brother who lives up there um, just went out. Uh, and the neighborhood five minutes from them that they have friends that live in just got hit by a tornado from this particular storm. And uh, just a lot of devastation, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Uh, our hearts and our prayers are with all of those that have been affected by this storm. Uh, the other thing that I, that I want to I bring up that I want to at least add uh, just a little bit of commentary to. Uh, about a month ago, we changed the format of the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, we kind of pivoted away from being a show... Uh, primarily driven by social commentary that obviously would include some political dialogue um, to being a Bible conversation. So we, we have kind of over the last month uh, relaunched the show. Uh, but if you've been with us for the 170 episodes prior to that, um, you know that abortion is a big thing uh, for me. It's a big thing on my heart. I'm very pro-life. Um, I, I think um, that Roe versus Wade was not just bad law, um, but is a moral blight, a stain um, on our national conscience, on, on our country, a country that uh, claims to uh, believe in Judeo-Christian principles. Um, I mean, we have, you know, we've launched wars um, for humanitarian purposes. Um, America has, um, has been a, a, an arm for good um, in a very crazy world. Um, but it is a stain how many lives um, that have never, never, were never able to take their first breath as a result of, of Roe versus Wade and our national policy, or, or really lack of policy, honestly, concerning abortion. Um, so many lives have been lost in the womb. Um, generations um, of doctors and politicians and pastors um, that were never given a chance. And, and I think it's a, it's a terrible thing. And I bring that up because something has happened. Uh, today, uh, that is significant, um, and that is uh, this law that was passed in the state of Texas um, that limited uh, the majority of abortions to six weeks. It's, it's a heartbeat bill. Uh, it passed Texas, uh, the legislative branch. It, it went through the normal procedures that laws uh, within a democracy intend to go through, uh, which, is, which is how the system should work. Um, gets passed, uh, the, the Texas House, Texas Senate, gets signed into law by the Texas governor. Um, again, restricting abortions to six weeks to a discernible heartbeat. So after the heartbeat under, uh, with the exception of, of really extreme scenarios, abortion is uh, illegal in the state of Texas. Uh, there was a last-minute injunction on the 31st of August uh, that made its way to the desk uh, of the Supreme Court. Um, hoping for a stay in the execution of this law. Uh, the Supreme Court refused to weigh in on the matter, which is, which is very interesting in and of itself. And therefore today, abortion after six weeks or after a heartbeat is detected um, is illegal in the state of Texas. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, I think that there's a lot of other things at play. We might see very, very soon this law uh, be accepted by the Supreme Court, placed on the docket, there's a lot of things happening if you are within the pro-life movement. Uh, there is a court case already on the books, um, a, a law passed in the state of Mississippi 
uh, that bans um, abortion after 15 weeks. The Supreme Court's already decided to kind of weigh in on the constitutionality of it. Um, direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. Um, the fact that they are not weighing in on this case. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, again, the way that the court has been reconstituted. I know there are a lot of Christians, a lot of you that are Christians, um, had a lot of problems with, with Donald Trump. Uh, don't want to get into that. Don't want to debate that. that that's fine. You're, and you're, you're welcome to your, uh, your position um, concerning the man and his character, his integrity, whatever. He did run on a platform uh, saying that he was going to appoint to the court a conservative justices um, with the intention of, of potentially seeing a change uh, in the law concerning abortion, specifically regarding Roe versus Wade. And, and, and again, it'll just be interesting to see uh, what the next uh, few weeks and even months hold. Um, again, good first step. I'm excited about that and, uh, and just wanted to, to comment on it. Uh, with that out of the way, um, fellas, I hope you're all right with me just adding a little bit of commentary into that. Uh, I, I guess before we get to Creighton, uh, you guys have anything you want to add uh, to not just the hurricane, but also to what's kind of going on nationally uh, concerning abortion? Uh, anything that you guys want to drop? No. No, Not I really. think you said it well. Like yeah. you said, our prayers go out to the people affected by this storm. And I love to see what's happening right now with Roe versus Wade. Derek, anything? You got no, anything? man, I'm good. You said it well. All right, Creighton. Well, with, with that kind of out of the way, uh, what in the world are we talking about tonight? Okay. <clears throat> so I think I'd, I'd like to talk about my favorite Bible character. Your favorite Bible character. My favorite ba Bible character. All right. Bible he gets overshadowed um, in a paradoxical way. He gets overshadowed because of the story that he's a part of. You only see him once in the Bible, and he is a part of something major. Uh, it is Ananias, the man who healed Paul of his blindness and was the one who ministered to him directly following the road to Damascus. That is in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. No, absolutely. Yeah. Now, now I, I should ask why, why I'm pulling out my trusty sword <laughs> and, uh, and turning to this passage of Scripture. Uh, give me a little bit more. You, you, kind of, um, you kind of set that up in a very interesting way. And, and, and Ananias, this is, a, this is an interesting character in Scripture. Um, what, what is it... Because you, I mean, you loaded it by saying this is one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah, a explain why this is one of your favorite char favorite characters. What what really intrigues you about this this man Ananias? Um, so a lot of it has to do with um, the thing that he's overshadowed by, which is the conversion of Paul. Which if which is not a big story, significant story, right? Sets the trajectory of a lot of the New <laughs> Testament. Understood, right? And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you might not know that. Paul, prior to meeting to Ananias, had been known as Saul, and his thing, um, like what he was known for throughout Galilee, throughout Judea, was that he would hunt down Christians, bind them in chains, and drag them back to Jerusalem to be tried and imprisoned for being Christians. Um, and then you have the whole uh, in encounter on the road to Damascus, where Jesus appears to Paul, um, strikes him with blindness. And it's like, it says the whole, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Um, Paul immediately drops what he was doing, has an about face, um, comes to the Lord. Um, and one of the, the 
mechanism by which he does that is that right after the road to Damascus, we flip to a guy named Ananias, who is just some dude living in Tarsus. Um, I believe he's Damascus. I'm sorry. Paul is from Tarsus, um, living in Damascus. And God's like, shows up to him and is like, hey, you know that guy who is literally on his way here to drag you away in chains to persecute you for my namesake? I want you to, that guy's coming to your house. I want you to talk to him, lead him to the Lord, because he's going to be my guy now. And Ananias is like, what? Okay, that's, <laughs> all right, let's, let's, let, let me read. And I just, I find it very interesting the way that God uses Ananias, just out of the blue, because we never hear Ananias' name before or after. I think, I think this is a wonderful conversation, um, a wonderful topic. L- let me start by just, in a lot of ways, getting kind of a, a running head start into Ananias' story by, by working backwards uh, with the conversion of Paul. A- again, as Creighton mentioned, we're in, in Acts uh, chapter 9. Uh, we'll just start with verse 1, and, and I'm going to read kind of a, a, a lengthy section of Scripture here, and then we're going to kind of unpack this. Again, totally unscripted, which is fun about the show. Uh, but we're going to talk about Ananias. So we read, again, Acts 9, verse 1, then Saul, and again, Saul, uh, his name would later be, be, he would later be known as Paul. His name would change. Saul, uh, again, uh, a namesake of the first king of Israel, uh, Saul meaning mighty one, um, was definitely on his high horse, was a religious zealot in the truest sense of the word, as you mentioned, was persecuting the church. Um, I think a, a lot of his vitriol towards the church is because Saul was a character, um, I think, in, in the gospel narratives. He was probably known as the rich young ruler. I think the rich young ruler was, was Saul. Um, again, study at the feet of Gamaliel, was one of the foremost scholars, a Pharisee, we're told. Um, Hebrew of the Hebrews was devout concerning the law and really saw Jesus um, as an antichrist. Um, as a false prophet, and thus the followers of Jesus, as, as not just committing heresy, but leading his brethren astray, which explains just the motivation by which uh, he was driven to persecute the church. First, you know, being the man that instigated uh, the stoning of Stephen, we're told uh, in Acts chapter 7 that uh, he held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church, to death. Uh, but then he, he moved from being just kind of the, the facilitator to the actual a propagator, like he he was the one actually going in, arresting people, committing them to jail. We're told he was wreaking havoc on the church. That word havoc is that he was acting kind of like a, a, a ravenous dog, you know, just just uh, real animated. So we're told that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him, permission, sanction to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, and again, the way is, is an early, was an early title given to Christians, uh, building off of the famous statement of Jesus that he was the way, uh, the truth, and the life, uh, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound, so he would arrest them, bring them bound back to Jerusalem, again, presuming to hold trials and, and, uh, and enact punishment. Verse 3 of Acts 9 says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Again, Jesus took it very personally. The persecution of his, of his disciples he took as a persecution against himself. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, which, which gives us the indication that something deep inside of Saul had been pricked, his consciousness had been pricked. He was, he was acting, operating um, against kind of something that he deep down knew was wrong, what he knew was true. Uh, so he, again, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, again, Damascus, which is where he was headed, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Again, had it been a very, a very ominous, kind of dark situation for, for Saul. And I think that's you know, kind of the first point to the story of Ananias that should be noted is that you had a guy here that was in the enemy of the church who has had a radical encounter with Jesus and is in, like his whole worldview, his whole life has fallen apart around him. He's blind. He's led by the hand in Damascus. And, and then we're told, verse 9, and you can only imagine that, that he was three days, again, he's blind, three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So he's in a very, a very desperate situation. Verse 10, and this gets to the character in question. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now I, I want to start kind of, kind of there because we're introduced to Ananias by being told that there was a, a certain disciple at Damascus. Uh, which is very interesting. So at this juncture and the development of the church, uh, there have been a few notable uh, developments. Again, Jesus left his disciples with the Great Commission uh, to take the gospel into the world. And, and then he kind of gave them the blueprint for how this was to happen. Take the gospel uh, into Judea, Samaria, and that, that was the surrounding regions. Um, Judea, Samaria, and then into the ends of the earth. Um, so it was the gospel was supposed to work its way out. Now it didn't for about 10 years or so. We're 10 years, give or take, after uh, the ascension of Jesus, the Great Commission, um, and the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. Uh, Christianity largely has been incubated in Jerusalem, in Israel, uh, also the Galilee, you can imagine, because a lot of Jesus' disciples, early disciples, were from, from the Galilee. But it's been... Uh, ethnically, very much Jewish and relegated to a very particular geographic footprint. Contrary to what the instructions of Jesus was to take the gospel into the world. And it was really through Saul and the persecution uh, that kind of got churned up there in Jerusalem that we're told um, that it forced, persecution forced um, a lot of the church leaders, um, a lot of the disciples that were in Jerusalem out, a, a great uh, biblical example of this that, that, that's recorded for us in, in the book of Acts is, is a man named Philip who went into Samaria. An incredible revival happened. Uh, but there were others, uh, many, that are just not recorded in the pages of Scripture. And so it's, it's very likely, again, just placing some context that naturally uh, there wouldn't, like Ananias wouldn't have, have been in Damascus any other way than that he was probably forced out of Jerusalem. Again, Ananias being... Um, a, a Hebrew name, he was a Jewish man, um, forced because of persecution in the same way as Philip and others. Uh, he had been forced to leave his home because of the, the actions of this man, Saul, and the persecution 
that was taking place within the church. And so he's forced, he's a disciple of Jesus. He's a follower of Christ. We're not given any background into when or how he became a Christ follower. Uh, we don't know if Ananias had had any type of exposure to Jesus during his earthly ministry. Um, no doubt he had probably had some familiarity with Jesus um, prior to that, just because Jesus was a historic figure. He was known in the area, was quite famous. Um, but at some point, An Ananias reaches this, this moment in his life, whether, again, it was during the ministry of Jesus. He could have very possibly been one of the, you know, the... the, the the 120,000 that, uh, 120, uh, the, that were there for a Pentecost, that were there on the, the, the Mount of Olives for the Ascension. We, we don't know his background. Again, he kind of enters the pages of Scripture somewhat unknown, but in all likelihood, he's given his life to Jesus. We don't know before, maybe on the day of Pentecost, we had 3,000 added to the faith. Uh, the church was rapidly growing. Um, either way, um, he is a disciple, a certain disciple. He's a man of the Lord. He loves Jesus. And he's in Damascus. He's in Damascus because he's been forced from his homeland. Um, Damascus, located in Syria, uh, many miles north. Um, so he's there. Now, we also know within context, there are other disciples of Jesus uh, that have gone into this area along with Ananias. He's not the only one because, again, that's why, one of the reasons Saul uh, is making his way into the area. He's, he's making his way into the area because there's a church there now, and Ananias, uh, more than likely, a, a, a part of this. And so there is this certain disciple. He's in Damascus. He's named Ananias. So he loves the Lord. He's a Jesus follower. And we're told that the Lord came to him in a vision and said, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. Now, again, th this word vision is quite vague. Um, it could have been possible that the Lord is communicating uh, these things to him through a night vision, which we would call a dream. We know uh, that visions can occur apart from, from dreams. Either way, the Lord steps into his life. He calls him by his name, which I think is very cool. You know, so th this obscure disciple who has fled Jerusalem to Damascus, right? Uh, he might be obscure to us, but, but how cool is it to think that the Lord appears to him in a vision and, and what? He knows his name. And I think if we're looking for like cool points of application, like Jesus knows all of his disciples and he knows all of his disciples by name. He knows you by name. Like you might not be doing anything other than just being a faithful disciple of Jesus. No, nothing uh, noteworthy or significant or, or that you might be famous for. And yet Jesus is aware of you. Again, he died for you. So he knows you and he knows this man by name. And so he replies, he says, here I am, Lord. Verse 11, again, Acts 9. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. So this is a very particular street there in Damascus. My guess is it was a straight street. Well, yeah. <laughs> Probably wasn't all that crooked. Maybe a little narrow. Again, narrow. it would have been, go to the curvy street. <laughs> no, this is the straight street. And inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And again, this, this does give us a little bit more insight into where Saul is personally. Again, he's, he's had a life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life has been flipped upside down. Um, he doesn't know what his future looks like. Um, 
Uh, he's been told to just go into the city in which he has to be led by the hand because he's, he's in darkness. He's blinded. Uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> Again, it's probably shocking to Saul that he wasn't struck dead then. I mean, that's probably a silver lining. Uh, but there's a lot of trepidation, anxiety. Uh, what will follow? What, what's the plan? Uh, maybe he's being handed into the hands of Christians who would, would, would treat him in the way that he was treating them. Who knows? I mean, what's going through Saul's mind? Um, these three days as he's, as he's sitting in darkness, neither eating and drinking, but he is praying. So he's in this house, the house of Judas. He's praying. Verse 12, and in a vision, again, the Lord articulating this, giving you know, Ananias a little bit more vision. Because, again, if you're Ananias and you're like, hey, uh, there's a guy here, his name's Saul of Tarsus, and immediately Ananias would have known who that was. I want you to go find him. You want me to do what? He's come here looking for me. And you want me to now go look for him. Uh, God, and, you know, if I'm Ananias, I'm like, well, I, I need a little bit more than that. He doesn't have to voice. He doesn't have to voice this. The Lord kind of meets him. He says, in a vision, he's, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So, so again, the Lord doesn't really give him um, here a, a, lot of, a lot of direction. You know, it doesn't tell him initially that, that he's had this encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus. Um, has just said, uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus is in town. And then again, Ananias is like, no, duh. We, we're aware he was coming. And we know why he was coming. He's not just in town. He's on a street. It's called Straight. He's in a house, the house of Judas. Go and ask for him. Again, none of this um, would, be, would be like lessening <laughs> Ananias' anxiety. And then the, the next bit of information is that, and he knows you're coming. <laughs> again, <laughs> if I'm Ananias, I'm like, he what? He, like, not only does he know someone's coming, you've, you've given him my name. Like he knows Ananias is coming. Uh, so he's, he's on the lookout. He's, he's waiting for, for me to come. So Ananias, naturally, he answers, he says, Lord. And I imagine, you know, there's a comment, there's a, there was a pause. Lord, Lord. Like, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Which, again, I, I like Ananias' his honesty. He's like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you're aware about this guy named Saul. Um, I think maybe I should fill you in on this. Uh, I know you want me to go. You told me uh, his address, what house he's in, that he's looking for me. Uh, not sure if you're aware. This is a dangerous dude. Like, he's not here with good intentions. He's not here because um, he's um, wanting to play patty cake. He is uh, persecuting the church. He's And again, look at what he says. He's, he's called must harm, damage. And again, Ananias, knowing these things, likely had experienced the harm that Saul had caused in Jerusalem. And again, you got to kind of place yourself into his sandals, into his situation. I mean, imagine you being in that dynamic where like your church home, the church you love, the church that you go to, let's say you go to Calvary 316, there's a bunch of persecution and like the mayor of Winder goes on an ego trip and is like actively persecuting, right? He's persecuting the church and he's like, arrested a bunch of the people at Calvary 316, people that you love. You've seen these people executed. Maybe you were buddies with Stephen and Saul from a distance as he stoned to death, just shocked. Like Saul is not your friend. He's your enemy. 
He's done harm. And then he reminds Jesus again. I, I, I appreciate his honesty, you know, and again, I, I like the fact that, that we can interact with Jesus honestly. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He's like, you know, these are your saints, Jesus, you know, these are your people. I, I, I'm here. And you kind of get the idea that Ananias has probably been wrestling with some of this, right? Again, just the way he says it, I'll read it again. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. It's like, I have hatred towards him. I'm confused why you would allow this. I'm personally wrestling with my own feelings about this guy. And now you're telling me I need to go to him. I know nothing about the circumstance other than the fact that he's at this house, at this location, and he's waiting for me. He's praying. He's waiting for me. He's seen in a vision me coming. So like what in the world? And then verse 14, you know, Ananias, again, needing to fill God in because sometimes God, you know, is slack concerning what's happening in current events. He says, and he's, he's here because he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Like, newsflash, Jesus, you're sending me into a very dicey, uncertain, dangerous situation. But, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go. And then this, the next line must have blown this dude's mind. He says, go, and here's why, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, he's like, don't you know that he's caused harm to your saints? <laughs> and Jesus' answer is like, yeah, he's my chosen vessel. They're my saints, but he is also mine. Again, brain meld and he says he's mine to bear my name before gentiles before kings before the children of israel for i will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake <laughs> again you know it blows my mind and, and, and just processing this story unscripted you know i no no prep no pre-study, kind of diving into the text fresh, fresh eyes. Again, it, it still jumps out to, out to me that, that, that Ananias is unaware of verses 1 through 9. Like, you know, Creighton, you bring this up, but have you ever noticed that, that like Ananias, like God never tells Ananias what's happened? Right. It's, that's one of the things I love about it because like all Ananias knows at this point is that Paul is praying. Paul is blind. And, and that's Paul it. Knows, and Paul knows he's coming. <laughs> and Paul knows he's coming. But he has no context for where Paul is spiritually. And that's terrifying if you're Ananias. Which means when Ananias, and, and this is the thought, when Ananias goes, like he doesn't know what kind of situation he's walking into. Now, if Jesus had told Ananias, like, Ananias, listen, I know, that, I know Saul. I know he was wreaking havoc on my saints. I know all these things were happening. I, I, like, I know that. But what you need to know is that I knocked him on his butt. <laughs> like, I was aware he was coming to Damascus for all the reasons that you just articulated. I was in the loop. I knew he'd gotten permission from the chief priest. I knew his intentions and why he was coming to Damascus and that it didn't look good for you and your Christian community, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So I intervened. 
bright light, road to Damascus. I knocked him on his keister. And I said, bro, why are you persecuting me? Like, hey, I get it. They're my saints. I was taking it personally. And I intervened in this guy's life. And, uh, and he's had a reckoning. So, like, you just need to know, I've already dealt with him. Now I need you to go, because he's praying, blah, 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 blah. None of that. So Ananias goes into this situation, like, for all he knows, he's going to convert Saul. I mean, for, for, all, he, for all he's aware. He's got no idea the intention. And, I mean, he knows that Jesus says that Paul, or Saul, is his chosen vessel. But Jesus says nothing about Saul's posse about the dudes that he came with nothing else <laughs> or this guy, Judas in the house that he stayed, right. right? Like before, before we look at what happens, I just want to, I want to kick it over. Cause again, it's kind of a conversation, but just where we're at in the story, uh, Derek and Nick, any thoughts, any questions, any insights, just kind of about the story, just kind of where things are. We're going to look at what happens, but just where things land at the moment. Yeah, it is kind of crazy to just think about, well, the specificity of three days too, like the travel that it took him for three days, but also like with Ananias, yeah, he has no idea. Like Jesus isn't specific about like, yo, I know what's going on. I did this, this, and this. He's just like, no, go and do this. Like have faith in me, trust in me, just go and do this. Hey, like that's, that's pretty wild to be in his position. Like, yo, he's slain a lot of Christians. Like, I know, you know, like, I'm not trying to question you, but, uh, I just really need sure? to make sure you're yeah. aware. Like, are you sure? Like, you know, the Saul guy, <laughs> what do you think, Nick? Yeah. I think it's just really weird, especially it's like God coming to us and being like, Hey, I want you to go speak with the mass murderer that's on the news recently. That's just killed like yeah, nine me, people. Let me tell yeah. you what house he's, oh, he's in, here. where he's living. He's here, <laughs> and he's praying, but I want you to go talk to him. And he yeah. knows you're coming. And he, and he knows, knows you're coming. Like, know, there's no <laughs> element like, of surprise. Like, uh, Will? Uh, <laughs> you sure? Know. All right, let's, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Verse 17, again, Acts 9, is, is the text. We're told, and Ananias went. I, I, yeah, I just kind of have to stop there. I get, and Ananias went. Yeah. You know, I mean, baller. I mean, you want to talk about trust, trusting in the Lord. Uh, you want to talk about faith. Uh, you want to talk about obedience. You want to talk about, like, selflessness. Like, this is a man, he's, like, he's got to imagine, like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm walking into. I know God's the one directing me. But at the same time, I've seen God direct other people into the lion's den. Like, you know, Stephen, my, my bro, died. Like, he, God allowed that. I don't know what I'm facing. I don't know what the situation. I just know that God has told me to do it, that there's a reason, that there's a purpose, and I have to trust the Lord. So Ananias went his way, and he entered the house, and he does exactly what, again, the vision had been articulated. He lays his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, that's mind-blowing because Ananias is relaying something to Saul that he doesn't know. Right? I mean, think about that. Like, he has a vision that gives him instructions. He hasn't read the first part of the story. There's no way he would have known about it because he's still worried about it. And yet, there, some point between Ananias going and being obedient to the moment he gets there. He, he understands 
something something has radically happened, right? Which is which is really I think a fascinating component to the story because we're not exactly told when these things dawn on Ananias or, or even how. What was it when he walked into the room and he sees he sees Saul? But again, the specific you know how how specific he he is. He says he says I, you know I know the Lord appeared to you on the road as you came. And he sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's two things that happen right off the bat. You know, one thing before he says anything and then what he says right off, right initially. You know, the idea of, again, you're Saul. And I know the point of the story here is not, is not to focus so much on Saul's experience, but that of Ananias. But the two are tethered. You know, Saul is in, is in this very, very dark place, physically, spiritually, Literally, figuratively. <laughs> he's hungry. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank anything. You know, health-wise, he's in, in a poor spot. He's been praying. He's desperate. He has been informed by the Lord. He has seen that there, that's, that God's going to send someone into his life. But three days. Like, at what point? Imagine the moment that, that you're saw, again, in the darkness. And you hear the crack of the door. And you hear these, these steps walk up to you. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you're, you're in a completely defenseless position. You're helpless. You're at the mercy of whoever just walked in. And if it was someone that was your enemy before, <laughs> uh, you, can, you can imagine that, that I mean, you've, you've wrecked their life. You've, you've caused them immense harm. You've hurt the people that they love. You don't know what's about to happen. There's, there's trepidation. And yet the, the moment where Ananias you know, puts, puts his hand on him, you know, Psychologists talk a lot about the power of human touch. It's, it's a fascinating thing that, like, you know, we've all experienced this firsthand. But when we're when we're weeping, when we're distraught, when we're, we're in a tough spot, and someone walks up and they don't say anything, they just come up and they just embrace you. There is an actual chemical release that occurs within the brain. Because what's happening is the physical touch in the moment of of uncertainty is an identifier like physical touch is an indicator that you're not alone that i'm with you that you're loved the embrace embraces touch physical touch matters the moment that saw has no idea what's going to happen and he feels a touch the, the, a hand of love not one of violence not one of malice one of compassion a tender touch and and then that first word brother like what that must have done. Now, again, a lot of things have had to have happened in, in Ananias's life between, you know, from on that walk, you know, the walk from wherever he was living to the street called straight to the house of Judas into the room where Saul, again, the Lord's continued to speak to him. He's, he's gained a word of knowledge and he's come to understand that, that this man Saul is not his enemy any longer. Again, already given the insight that he's the Lord's chosen vessel, but he identifies not just physically within the touch, but just within that one word, brother, brother, you're not my enemy. You're not hated. You're part of my family. You're my, you're my brother, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me because I'm not, I'm not here, bro. For any other reason, the, the, the same Jesus that has revealed himself to you 
revealed himself to me years ago. That's why I'm a disciple. But has spoken to me specifically about you. Has sent me to you. For two reasons. One, for you to receive your sight. Which had to have been a great relief. Like It's not God's intention for you to be blind forever. And two, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes, again the eyes of Saul, something like scales. Luke, who is authoring the book of Acts, was a doctor. So he's very... Uh, articulate in particular in how he describes certain things. He's, he doesn't say that these were scales, like fish scales. He just says that there were something like scales. And no doubt, Luke is getting this story firsthand from Paul, <laughs> Saul, who is in the story, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Paul's saying, like, Luke, man, something came off of my eyes. They were like scales. I don't know what they were. I received my, my sight, and then we're told, and he rose and was baptized. Again, baptized, we can assume, by Ananias. So when he had received food and was strengthened, Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You know, I, I love the ministry of, of Ananias in the life of, of Saul. First, I think we should, we should step back and say, uh, this man uh, is, is, there's nothing that makes him any different. And this is something probably applicable, not just to myself, but to you guys as well. I mean, just, he's not an apostle. Like, he's not one of the original 12. He's not part of the 18. He's not a deacon. <laughs> um, he is, all points and in, in purposes, just a normal guy. He's a certain disciple. He's a member of the church. He's a member of the church. Um, a faithful member of the church. He has a relationship with Jesus. His life has been changed. But, but there is nothing that makes this man any different than anyone else. And, and yet, how cool is it that he's used by Jesus um, in the conversion story of one of the most impactful disciples of Jesus to have ever walked the, the face of the planet. And that being Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Again, a normal guy used in an instrumental way to impact, to minister a guy that makes a tremendous impact, which, which I think is, is a really radical thing. Like, like you might end up in your life, you might end up being called to minister to one person. You have no idea the impact that one person might make for the kingdom of God. And you know what? It gets attributed to your account. Like everyone that, that, that Paul ends up blessing and ministering, Ananias is like, yep, me and Paul. the dynamic duo wouldn't have been here if it hadn't been for me being faithful to the Lord. Right. I mean, not to say that he would have been prideful or or arrogant in that way, but just the, how he's used, you know, he identifies with the sinner you know, again, a broken man, humbled, uncertain is aware of Jesus, a certain disciple, that Jesus uses to be his hands in the life of this man. And, and he touches him. He identifies with him. He's loving. He speaks truth. He's instrumental in, in not just the miracle that takes place of, of Paul being healed, you know, his eyesight being restored. He, he's instrumental, this laying on of hands. Something happens here. We're told that he's filled with the Spirit. 
like imagine you know the first the first glimpse of this new world that Paul is now in is Ananias. The 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 exact person that Jesus wants us to be. A man that is not judge judging, is not full of condescension, is not giving a lecture. A man that's like, hey man, I know you're in a bad spot. Jesus sent me. And the same Jesus that's been speaking to you has been speaking to me, and, I, and I, I, he sent me to you to let you know that you're loved and that there's a family for you. And, and when the scales fall from his eyes and he sees the face of Ananias, what that face must have been, a face of, of love, of, of a bit of shock. But how cool. And, and, then, and then we're told that, that, that Ananias takes him. They, they rise up. They leave this house. They find a body of water. And we're not given any of the details specifically, but he's baptized. Again, Saul would have been familiar with the baptism of, of John the Baptist and the ministry that he had been doing in the Jordan. You know, Jesus didn't baptize. That was not part of his ministry, but he said you'd be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then when, when we get into you know, the early church, they adopted this kind of Judaic principle of, you know, anytime a Gentile converted to Judaism, they would, they would be immersed in water, a mikvah there at the temple. They would be, it was a water baptism, an immersion of a Gentile now, now entering the Jewish faith. And, and there was something significant carried over from this Jewish practice into early Christianity where you know, you had made a decision to follow Jesus. You had been filled with the Holy Spirit. You had experienced this internal transformation. But you wanted the world to know. Like, like I've, I've made, like, a significant change has happened in my life. So to articulate, to illustrate this, this thing that's happened inside of you, this internal transformation, there was an outward demonstration. And so they would go, and they would be baptized. And everybody would know. I mean, imagine, imagine people looking and seeing Saul being baptized by Ananias. Not an apostle, not Peter, not John, not James. Ananias. And some dirty body of water there in Damascus. So he's baptized. And then, and then I love this. We're told in verse 19 that when he had received food, he was strengthened. Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And I know that that's kind of, like that would be an easy verse to just kind of skip over. And yet, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm reading a little bit into the story, but, but how did he receive food? After he was baptized. By whom? Ananias. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Saul's life has changed. Like, he's converted to Christianity, which means that, like, his entire world is, is dead to him. Mm. Like, he would have been cut off immediately. Like, as a Pharisee, he would have been terminated. His wife would have probably left him. His community would have shunned him. His religious crew would have would have seen him now as a heretic. Like all of his friends, all of his community, like his like everything in his life is dead, is gone. He's got nothing but Ananias. Yeah, you know, and Ananias is like, well, I I, I guess you can't go back to Judas's house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> need so, a crush here. <laughs> yeah, so uh, why don't you come home with me? You hadn't eaten in three days. Why don't you? Uh, Come to my, my table. Why don't you eat? 
And again, eating in that, that, that culture, just as a custom, was a sign of, again, of community, of identifying. You, you know, you, what, you know what, what you shared a meal, that sub- substance that became part of you was becoming part of them. You were becoming one with each other. He's embraced, and he spends some days with the disciples of Damascus, the very people he had gone to arrest. Again, Ananias, you're right. And then he's gone. Like, Never see him again. Never see him again. There's nobody that calls themselves... I'm going to put myself on the screen. Uh, there's nobody that calls themselves like the Ananites. There's no... <laughs> <laughs> there's no, like, you know... I don't know if he's sanct- sainted. If he's received a sainthood? Yes, yeah. whatever the Catholics call it. I feel like there should be a Saint Ananias. Don't know if there is. But I think it's awesome that, like, he is what true humility looks like. You know, we don't have, like... And again, I think, I think there's something that, that, that we can all identify with in Ananias because we don't have um, a sermon recorded by Ananias. Uh, we don't have a miracle performed by Ananias. Uh, we don't have, um, he's not a martyr in the sense that like, we don't have the record of, of him losing his life. Like, again, this is it. This is, this is the story. And yet he's used by the Lord in a very simple way to make a significant impact in the life of one person. And, you know, I, I really do love that. You know, we talk about evangelism in very broad terminology. Like, we, we often judge the success of evangelism by how many people you lead to the Lord. You know, you find this within church circles. Well, how many people did you baptize? How many people, uh, you know, what are your conversion rates? And, and we use some of that as a metric to judge success versus failure. But, you know, how often we find within the Bible, and this is a great illustration of it, where um, real evangelism, I call it micro-evangelism, where it's, it's the ministry to the one person. You know, it's, it, again, very similar. Philip, who's leading this, he's spearheading this incredible revival happening in Samaria, and then God calls him to leave that and go to a de- deserted desert road that connects Jerusalem to Gaza. There's no one there. Not a great place for an evangelist. But then you have this Ethiopian. Like God sends his evangelist, the anointed evangelist, onto this deserted road. Why? There was one person that was seeking that needed to be found. Mm. And you know, like who is that one person? I, yeah, I kind of I throw this to the audience just within your own life. Like don't get overwhelmed with like the totality of, of like, I've got to impact the world. You know, it, we don't even, like not, that's not even just limited to Christianity. This is just kind of a thought. But like, like so much of our austerity within our culture is, is always placed in macro terminology. Like it's, it's saving the planet. We got to save the planet. Well, no one, no, no one's going to save the planet. Um, like it's placed in broad terms. We got to save the Afghanis. Well, that's a very broad term. Like, like it's, it's, it's speaking with such terminology that it, it casts such a wide vision that you skirt individual responsibility, which is why like people that like are touting global warming have no problems flying in jets all over the place or not doing their part because, well, it's, it's a big problem. It takes all of us. My role is not really that significant. Christianity kind of inverts it where it's like, yeah, the whole world's lost. You go to one. Like, let's, let's simplify it. One, one person. 
Like just that one person. I'm calling you to that one person. And you're like, well, you don't know Jesus about that guy. Like you don't know, like they hate Christians. You don't know. Here, here's, here's the thing I have found. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss it to you guys so get ready. But this is one of the things that I found, just from personal experience, that when the Lord puts on your heart someone, it might not be a vision, and we don't know what this manifested, how this manifested in Ananias' life, but when the Lord puts on your heart one person to go and reach, I promise you that Jesus has been doing advanced reconnaissance on the other side. Like Jesus will never move your heart to go and minister to someone that he hasn't already been ministering to. And sometimes I feel like we should have the same boldness that Ananias to show up and be like, hey man, like Jesus sent me to you and he sent me to you because of what he's doing in you. The same Jesus that's been working in your heart has sent me to be his vessel to help you the next step. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Guys, Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of what are your thoughts with it all? Yeah, I've had like kind of to that point, like just be randomly somebody be put on my heart and kind of think about it and pray for a second. I'll just reach out to him like, hey, you know, just Lord put you in my heart. Just wanted to tell you I'm thinking about you, praying for you. And then like to have them reach back out to you or call you and be like, why did you just do that? And be like, ah, it's literally just that. Like you were kind of put on my heart and I just wanted to the reach out to you. The same Jesus that's been speaking yeah. to you speaks to me. Yeah, and they're <laughs> just like, you don't know how much that means to me right now. It's just kind of that same thing. Like Exactly like you said, you don't know what God's doing in somebody else's life. So when he calls you to go minister to that person in that moment, I mean, it could be like life-changing for them in that way. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, so from this story, my take that I really dive and what resonates resonates with me is he didn't judge like he just went right like so when i when i think about in a life scenario i'm thinking like okay new person comes to church instead of judging them first and trying to find their fault not like not every time you try to find their faults but you always you're like oh I, i know that person they're not a good person or you know how why is this person at church instead of judging first seek them out try to bring them to the lord as much as you can you know, dive in deep head first to try to bring them to what your spiritual belief is and try to find why they're there. And then, and then like Ananias, look for practical ways to minister to yes. the person. You know, that, and that's what's cool is like, you know, yeah, there's, there, you know, he leads him, leads him to the Lord. Uh, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he touches him, lays his hands on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. These scales fall from his eyes. He takes him out and baptizes him. Like he's part of you know his conversion, but but then he but then he immediately like okay, <laughs> brother Saul, I'm gonna now like substantiate calling you my brother by like what's the most pressing need you have like the most pressing practical need you have in your life right now, the easiest way for me to demonstrate the love of Jesus in the life of Saul in that moment was was very clearly giving him something to eat <laughs> because yeah. he had not eaten for three days and so he's like hey. Um, I know you're now my brother. Uh, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized. You're all in. You've been, you know, ostracized and rejected. We're kind of what you got. You know what? You need some food. Let's go eat. Let me go. Let me go feed you. You know, and, and like that practical, that practical need. And sometimes, you know, that's what people need most. Like, 
again, as ministers of Jesus trying to emulate Ananias, it's like when that person does come to the Lord, when that person is saved, when you see that transformation, that miracle happen, um, just look for a practical way to bless them. And it might be as simple as like, hey, man, I know what it's like to give your life to the Lord. I know you're going to lose some friends over this. I know that life is going to probably get a little bit more complicated. Um, man, on Monday nights, why don't you come over and just eat with me and my family? You know? and or, you hey, know, let's, let's a phone call. Let's chat once a day. Let, let me call you in the morning and pray for you. You know, like the practical yeah. things, the easy things. And you don't know who that person's going to turn into as an ambassador of Christ. Like, right. I mean, you could be the person that shifts them to be the next Bible scholar for Christ to next save Billy Graham. Next, yeah, I mean, you don't know. Or the next Ananias. Or the next hey. Ananias. You know, again, we don't know who led Ananias to the Lord. But it was Ananias that was instrumental in leading Saul of Tarsus. You know, the other thought that I had, and maybe you guys want to add some commentary to it, but like, like before chapter 9... If you had gone to that church in Damascus and been like, all right, we're going to take a survey. Uh, we're going to pass out some pieces of paper, some little pens, and some golf pencils. And uh, we want everyone to write down the one person you think is most unlikely <laughs> to ever be a Christian. I mean, what do you think the, the general consensus would have been? Saul, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, of Tarsus right? Saul of Tarsus. And yet, how wrong they would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the other thing that you have to, and this is also kind of reading into it a bit, um, but it's something I think about a lot in this scenario. At some point, Ananias had to show up and be like, so this is Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to be like, hanging out with us. For everybody would have already known who he was. So to bring him in, and be like everybody's like, oh yeah, we know who this is. <laughs> Run! It would yeah. be. Like, it'd be like. It'd be. <laughs> it would yeah. be like. Nothing. So at Calvary three sixteen, we do a men's event. We call it eat, pray, shoot. Oh yes. Where we where we 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 meet at uh, one of our elders' properties outdoors. I have a fire. We eat breakfast man breakfast we spend some time <laughs> in prayer and then we have a target target range set up out in the field and you can bring whatever guns you want and you can shoot um it, 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 it again this is gonna probably get me in trouble but it would be like <laughs> it would be like um having um you know an isis terrorist <laughs> slip through the cracks you know and uh and we find out there's a manhunt for and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to come up with a name on the fly because I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, we'll call him MJ. <laughs> but it's like manhunt for MJ slipped through the cracks. He's very dangerous. Hates Christians. Was primarily one of the guys beheading people in in Syria. And you're like, oh man, that guy. And then Jesus like gives you a vision. It's like, yeah, MJ is you know on Bold Springs at this address. <laughs> There's been a vision, and you're like, oh, oh no. And so you go and like, okay, this is the story. It plays itself out. And like, everyone knows about this guy. He's a known terrorist. Like he's, he's dangerous. And, uh, you know, he gives his life to the Lord. And that Saturday you're like, Hey man, uh, you feed him. He's staying with you. You're like, we have an eat, pray, shoot event. I'll let you borrow one of my guns. Yeah, let's and, go. And yeah. you show up at the eat, pray, shoot event. There's MJ with an AK. It's like, Oh, don't worry, guys. He's given his life to Jesus. He's with us now. It's cool. Yeah. He's with us. 
nothing to worry about. I love it. Hey, give him a clip. He's got a great aim. You know, like, <laughs> and you know, it actually being okay. Yeah. And you've been like, oh well. Well, can you tell us your story, MJ? Yeah. <laughs> you know, can we get a? Little, you, you'd have to like again. I think that speaks. This is probably the last thought. We gotta we gotta bounce, but it, <laughs> it probably does speak to the character of a guy like Ananias. You know, the, the Ananias within that Christian community had enough street cred and respect, admiration, that he could bring a guy like Saul. That 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 Ananias would be the guy that's like. I'm I'm going to vouch for him. And everyone that was there was like, well, okay. It is Ananias. Right. Right. Yeah. It just speaks to everybody's faith in that too. Like to yeah, Ananias just being like, okay, you know what? Like not really questioning them. He did like, it's like, yo, you know, this guy's like here to attack us. Right. And he's like, yeah. And then like, when you say Ananias went, like he just did it. He went but and he's did good. it. He trusted in God. And he's been filled with the Holy. He's met Jesus, been yeah. filled with the Holy spirit. I baptized him. He's, right. Cool. He's one of our brothers. And so let's treat him as such. And, uh, and I think that that's super cool. So before we, uh, before we wrap things up, before we get out of here, a very quick programming note. Uh, this coming weekend is Labor Day weekend. As such, I'm going to be out of town, and the guys are going to be out of town, and so we will not be having uh, the Outlaw Radio Show <clears throat> for the next two weeks. So the next two weeks, and the week of September 12th, um, which I think would be, what would that be, the 15th? Yes, um, I do believe. The date would be the 15th. Is it the fifth, Wednesday the 15th? Wednesday the 15th. Yes. Uh, we will be back. And so the next two Wednesdays, no, 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 no the, the weekend after the that. one that we're no. not here, we'll be back the twenty second. Again, like like uh, like I was saying, it's the twenty second. <laughs> yeah, twenty second. Uh, I'm glad we've got. That's why I was throwing it to you guys, kind of looking like, hey, come on, help me out, fellas. We th- uh, we misunderstood what you meant weeks. by the fifteenth. So the seventh and the fifteenth, those two weeks, we will be off the twenty second, no, Wednesday bro, the twenty second, fifth and the twelfth. No, no. Wait, wait, wait. Oh my gosh, Derek! The I was eight, looking at he's got February. It right. You're looking at February. <laughs> a little further 15th. ahead. The eighth yeah. and fifteenth, not the seventh. That's a Tuesday. The eighth. We should have looked at the calendar in advance, I'm but we didn't. Nick pulled it up. Thank you, Nicholas. Yeah, no I'm here for you. So the eighth, the fifteenth, we will not be having that law radio show. So again, uh, if you've enjoyed the live stream, two weeks off. We're taking kind of a, a late summer. Uh, break if you are listening on the podcast again two weeks don't freak out no audio is posting uh, two weeks and then we'll be back in the swing of things and so uh, we hope you're blessed the Outlaw Radio Show we hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode while the show is streamed live streamed every Wednesday night the audio is released on our podcast the following morning Thursdays if you've yet to subscribe our podcast is hosted on Apple Google Spotify for quick links simply visit outlawradio.org if you are already a podcast listener we would invite you to check out the the live show Wednesday nights again 8pm September 22nd that's when we'll be back you can watch on our YouTube channel outlawradio.live or by visiting facebook.com slash the radio outlaw Nick Deal Daddy Derek thank you so much for joining me appreciate it loved being here always a pleasure Creighton Thanks hey, for- it's good. I'm still sweating. We're doing well. <laughs> Thank you for the topic. That was a great topic. 
I really Thank appreciate you. that. That was Ananias. I would not have guessed. I was going to go with Enoch. Mm. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Uh, Ananias, great character to have a conversation about. So I, I do appreciate the topic and, and all that you do on, on the technical side to make the show happen. Uh, once again, my name is Zach Adams. I hope you join us this time next week for another episode of the Outlaw Radio Show. Good night, folks.